0: Hello, welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And I just taught a class uh, on the moral argument, and then I taught a class on why does God allow suffering. Um, And right at the end of the class, uh, one of my students asked me, well, I don't get how um, God would allow hurricanes and volcanoes and epidemics and things like that. I can get why God would allow wars, because he has to allow freedom, human freedom, to take its place, and I can see how God would allow rape, because, you know, God's going to judge that person, but in the, in the in-between the time here on earth, God's allowing people to have their freedom, and then he's going to bring all things to right uh, after death. But what about the chaotic life that we're in that hurts people with apparently no reason? Um... So this is an important question. I, I briefly went over it in the class. Again, I'd recommend that you go listen to the classes on the moral law and um, the the question of good and um, what did I call it? Uh, the problem of pain. I think I probably called it. Technical word would be theogony. Um, so an answer to this question would be found. We would start with Genesis three, and Genesis one and two. God creates the world good, and then um, man. Uh, Humankind, through free will, freely chooses evil. And uh, so then we have uh, God's curse on them, God's judgment on them. And I just just recorded a podcast called, um, What Right Does God Have to Judge Me? Because that's an important component of this, but it kind of became uh, a podcast of its own. So we're approaching this with the perspective that God is the righteous judge. His judgments are are the good judgments, they are what what should be be decreed, um, because sin needs to be punished, and uh, this is the righteous judgment that God hands down. Cursed is the ground because of you, in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Um, so the ground is cursed because of the sin of man and woman, and so y- you would ask, well, that it wasn't it wasn't the dirt's fault that humankind sinned. Why were why were you know thorns and thistles cursed? Uh, why were animals cursed? Um, why 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 did nature go wrong at that point? This gets into the concept of um, federal representation federal representation, so um, this made more sense back in the day when we had kings and we had um, even chieftains and you know when the when the head of the tribe decreed something then everybody in the in the tribe was a implicated in it and B obligated to do what he said uh, because we have a very individualistic culture uh, we tend to think, hey um, I'm only responsible for what I do. And you're responsible for what you do, and, and we don't, we're not responsible for each other's actions. Um, and and there is a sense in which the Bible will go along with that because um, I should probably find this reference for you. It is it is written somewhere that uh, you shall not put a, a child to death for the sins of his father, nor put the father to death for the sins of his children. Um, and, and there is a sense in which moral guilt only attaches to the actions that you yourself commit. You're not um, morally, uh, you, you shouldn't be punished, according to the Old Testament law and according to the New Testament, for sins that you do not commit. Now, that being said, sorry, I'm getting a little bit off track, but this is important too. Uh, it's talking about original sin. So, um... Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, uh, all humans are born with a, a tendency and a proclivity towards sin. But I don't think that they're born with the guilt of sin. Now, it's it just happens that um, as children grow up, because we have this tendency towards sin that came from the sin nature, which came from the free decision of Adam in the garden, we're going to choose sin. And no child will will grow through life uh, with without ever sinning, as Jesus did, because Jesus did not have a sin nature. Um, But until they personally sin for themselves, uh, they do not deserve to be punished for their sins, even though they have maybe a tendency towards sin. And I would even uh, hold out hope that there's sort of a grace period where young children are able to sin, but they're not able to understand the gospel. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and um you know unless you become like a child you will not enter into the kingdom of god and the kingdom of god belongs to such as these um and i would tend to believe that children uh go to heaven even though even those that don't yet understand the gospel but the the bible is silent on that we don't really know exactly what god's plan is for for children um so that explains moral guilt that explains uh how god's judgment works but let's go back to um federal representation, there is a sense in which everybody can be implicated by the actions of our leader. For example, um, if a president says, or a prime minister in our case in Canada says, we're going to war, um, everybody's going to war. And because I'm a Canadian, I'm engaged in the war in Syria. Because I'm Canadian, I'm engaged in, in various wars that we have committed overseas, or that we have been part of overseas even though I'm a pacifist even though I personally would not go uh and I have you know reasons why I would not go um and uh also I mean the atrocities committed against native north americans um even though I didn't do anything I didn't it wasn't my fault uh that and I, I mean my, answers, uh, my ancestors weren't even here Um, You know, I came over, my, my grandparents came over just after World War II, but I'm Canadian citizen, I'm Caucasian, I'm, you know... In a lot of ways, I am implicated in that sin, even though I didn't do it, because I'm represented by my ancestors, because I'm represented by the Canadian government, etc. So, we get how federal representation can work. And God put man and woman in charge, so to speak, of um, of the earth. In Genesis 1 and 2, um, I guess Genesis one twenty seven would be the, the good place to start. And therefore God, God created man in his image, in the image of God he created him. So this word man is Adam, which means, uh, generically humanity. It's also the name of the first man, Adam. So there is a little bit of confusion here. That's why some ver- some translations will say God created humanity in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Uh, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed each shall be for you. And to every beast of the field, and to every birth bird of the sky to everything that moves on the earth which has life I have given every green plant for food and it was so Uh, etc and then it talks about how God puts uh, humanity in the garden to tend it and then after the flood God reaffirms his covenant with with Noah and the remaining descendants of Adam and again says that they are in charge of the earth and now he adds that they're able to eat animals uh, but they're not allowed to kill one another Uh, so that's the Noahic covenant Psalm 8 also is a good verse to go, good passage to go to, just because it's a beautiful passage, but also it reinforces this whole um, federal head idea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. So it starts with the beauty of God and, and the amazing nature of him in creation. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries, to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. I don't know what that verse means, but it's beautiful. And then it goes on. For when I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you could take care of him? So this is a, a beautiful passage, especially you can just imagine walking out under a starry night, looking up at all the stars, feeling so small, overwhelmed by the grandeur of God, and saying, what is humanity? I mean, we're just nothing. We're, we're little insects down on this planet. Who are we compared to God who created us and com- compared to the huge, amazing world and, and amazing cosmos that he's created? Yet you have made him a little lower than God. You crowned him with glory and majesty. So even though we're small, God has given us an elevated place because we are made in the image of God. And because in addition to that, he Put us as rulers as in charge of the planet. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the seas, through the paths of the seas. O oh Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So even though we're nothing on this little speck of dirt, um God has lifted us up, and he has put us in a position of leadership and authority over the planet. And he has um entrusted all things to our, our care and he has made us a little bit lower than um the angels and it says in the nasb that that word actually in the hebrew is the elohim elohim can be a name for god here it's plural and so it can be translated as lower than the gods which causes some trouble for um for us as as you know monotheists and trinitarians but it, it just literally means heaven dwellers and so, uh, this is probably the best translation to say a little lower than the angels. Um, so there's God, then there's the people up in heaven, the angel, the the heaven dwellers, the angels, whatever, and then there's us here on planet Earth. We have eternity in our hearts. It says in, in uh, Ecclesiastes, and we're made in the image of God. It says in Genesis one twenty seven. And uh, we are put in a position of leadership and authority over the earth. Now, what happens when the leader and the authority of a government makes really bad decisions? Uh, it's not going to go well for the nation. And um, this is a tragic... I mean, I my ancestry is Dutch. If it had a just, you know, probably somebody a few, four or five generations ago, had have moved a few miles south, then or maybe six or seven generations back, then my ethnicity might have been German. And if that were the case, then I would be caught up in the guilt of of the Nazi um, sin, you know. Um, I was just talking with somebody uh, two weeks ago that he was raised under Nazism, and he said, like, I was part of the Hit- Hitler's youth. I, I believed in it. I, I I gave myself to it. I was so committed to it. And then afterwards, the truth came out, you know. Um, people didn't know what, what, they didn't, they were lied to, and they didn't know the whole secret, but they still bore the guilt of that. Um, not, that's not to be anti-German, it's just, uh, underlining again this idea of federal headship. Um, and there is redemption for the sins of our past, I think. We can, we can distance ourselves from them, and we can, we can say this was wrong, we can apologize for our fathers, and these sorts of things. Um... That's not really the subject of today's discussion. Um, So, how does this idea of mankind being the federal head of the world translate into Hurricane Matthew, Hurricane Katrina, etc.? We're here in Romans 8.20. Let's back up to 18. Um, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So life here sucks, but heaven's going to be awesome. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The earth itself can't wait for heaven, for the new heaven and the new earth. Why is that? For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope a little bit of a confusing passage, but what it's saying is there's a curse on creation, and the cre- and it's not natural. It's not how creation was supposed to be. For the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When Christians are redeemed, the creation will be redeemed with us. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit... Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So this curse was placed on humanity and on the earth because the earth was placed under mankind's direction, under under humanity's direction. Um, and so the judgment that was pronounced on mankind also spilled over into creation. Now, um, creation is not animate. It's not literally groaning. It's not literally frustrated by this. And so animals and, and bugs and trees, uh, we don't need to, um, we don't need to be stressed about, um, them, you know, waking up every morning thinking, why am I cursed? You know, which would be, um an extra level of misery that that God spared creation from, because it's not animate, it doesn't literally groan, it doesn't literally feel frustration. Um, But uh, Paul is personifying creation here, pretending that it it has human emotions, to underline the fact that this is not the way it's supposed to be. creation is supposed to be good, it's supposed to be a safe place for humanity, and it's supposed to be a place that demonstrates God's beauty and God's love and God's organization and God's, you know, power. Um, Not a place that uh, that is so dangerous for humans and and where... and so cruel for humans and animals. Um, Before I go, this is a little bit off topic, but I want to talk a little bit about animal suffering. Um, and uh, could do a separate podcast on this, but I probably won't, so I'm just going to drop it here. Um, William Lane Craig has done some work on animal suffering because he believes, he's an old earth creationist, he believes that uh, God used evolution to create animals. I think he would go so far as to say that God used evolution to create, you know, the the Neanderthal people that eventually turned into humans and then God somehow divinely in, you know put his spirit on one of these ape people and it became a, a person I'm, I think that's where he would go although he he's kind of open-ended he's like I haven't quite made up my mind on this um, so some people that that are old earth creationists would say that God specially created Adam out of the dust of the earth and some would say that he used a pre-existing Neanderthal man and, and put his that's an imprecise term I understand there's um, it's, there's Neanderthal man, and then there's other ones along the evolutionary trail, and I just forget what they're called um but if you believe in old Earth creation, then you have death before the fall, and you have so much death and suffering in the world um after the fall that is animal suffering, and it just seems like it's too much it's too much suffering of animals for a good God to allow. And so this kind of attaches to uh, the whole discussion of how can a good God allow suffering. Um, it's all fine and well to say, okay, our federal head decided this, therefore we all need to suffer uh, accordingly. But there's limits on that. And why should innocent little puppies, um, you know, or, or why should an innocent little doe, a uh, baby deer, uh, get get dragged down by wolves and eaten alive because of a sin that Adam committed, you know, all these years ago? Uh, That just doesn't really seem to make sense. So one issue, this is I guess a bigger issue, and I am going to get to this when I talk about evolution versus creationism, six-state creationism versus old earth creationism. Uh, How could there be sin and death before the fall? Um, So that's an issue that only old earth creationists have. But even young earth creationists, all of us have the issue of there's so much pain in the animal world. Uh, How can a good God allow so much pain in the animal world? So, C.S., I mean, uh, William Lane Craig uh, has done some work on this, and he divides between the three levels of pain. There's the first order of pain, which is simply um, avoiding negative stimuli. The second order is um, being conscious of the negative stimuli. And the third order is being self-conscious and um, self-aware of oneself experiencing pain. So that's a little bit complicated. Let's explain what it means. An amoeba in the first level of consciousness, uh, will move away from stimuli. If you poke it with something, or if there's some acid in the fluid that it's squiggling around in, it'll move away from pain. It'll move away from things that are that are destroying it, that are dangerous to it. Um, but we wouldn't think of an amoeba sitting there thinking, ouch, that hurt, or thinking, oh, geez, I hope that I don't get poked. Uh, amoebas aren't aren't capable of that sort of advanced thought. They're just moving away from negative stimuli. Similarly, as far as we know, insects. So insects, you know, are ripping each other apart all the time, and, and um, a praying mantis grabs something with its, you know, scissor legs, and then he just starts eating it alive, uh, which is very disturbing. Um, but this, this grasshopper that's, that's caught by the praying mantis is being eaten alive and is trying to move away from the negative stimuli, But it's not able to. Um, So this is the first level of pain to say if there's something negative, then move away from it. But it's not conscious. It's not having these conscious human thoughts. And we, you know, as humans, we tend to put um, human emotions into things that don't have human emotions. I mean, how many people, raise your hands, have had a pet rock? The the rock is not alive, you know. (laughs) How many of you have had uh, even a you know, a doll or, or a pet bear that were a blankie that we felt was alive. Um, and and we imbued with human attributes and, and, um, there's a word for it. Um, anthropomorphize, is that the word? Anyways, we gave human feelings to, to these inanimate objects, uh, and a small child would be crushed if we took a doll and stepped on its head or something. um, because to them it's like, no, that's a lie, that, that inanimate object is alive. In the same way, we can tend to put these, we can tend to believe that an ant has human, a human capacity to feel pain, to have complex thoughts, um, when it's likely that the only thing they're able to do is recognize negative stimuli, move away from it if they can, but if they can't move away from the negative stimuli, there's no experience of pain other than, geez, I really need to move out of here. Um, But pretty soon the praying mantis eats them up enough that they're dead and there's no longer a feeling of, I need to move away from this negative stimuli. So the second order of pain is the sense in which um, they're conscious of the pain. So a cow or a deer is conscious uh, when a stick you know, scratches them in the in the bush or whatever. They go ow, and they might make a noise and they might say that hurt. <clears throat> um, but they don't have the third order of pain. So so higher primates uh, or higher animals, um, you know, deer, reptiles, birds, they're they're conscious of pain, but they're not conscious of themselves. And I believe, as I've listened to William Lane Craig. You know, he's you know published serious work on this. Um, I believe his his um, argument rests on self-consciousness, and there's very very few animals that are actually self-conscious. Actually, uh, interestingly enough, um, if I remember correctly, the dolphin is one animal that, if you show it a mirror, it demonstrates that it knows it's seeing itself. It's not seeing another dolphin; it's seeing itself. Um, and the other one is, is it, um, is it a mockingbird, or is it, um, it's that bird that has, it's black with white tips at the end of its wings, what is the name of that bird? It's a very, very clever bird, um, and if I recall correctly, that bird is also capable of being self-conscious of itself, and then some of the higher primates as well, monkeys, gorillas, when they see a mirror, they understand they're seeing themselves often. Not not all the time, but usually. And so they won't go in and if they see the reflection in the glass, they won't go and try and kill themselves. Um, you know, try and smash through the glass to, to destroy the other monkey. They'll understand they're seeing themselves. Now, when we have this third order of pain, we're able to have the full ensemble of human emotions, which honestly make pain a lot worse. How many of you have um when you when you um here that potentially, okay. Well, if you if you um, just discover, as I just discovered, that you have a fatty little bump tissue thing, um, you know, I just found out like it, it's no big deal. Like these things grow; it's it's not cancer. You're not dying. You know. Um, but as we get a little bit older and we start discovering, you know, things that look like cancer or that you know look like they might be bad diseases. We have all sorts of anxiety and we think, oh no, I'm going to potentially go through suffering. I might potentially die. I might potentially, you know, all these bad things might happen. And that creates a third order level of pain. As well, when we're experiencing pain, we're able to see ourselves almost from a third person perspective to see this person who is myself is experiencing pain, which is why pain is so much worse for us. Uh, which is why often we're sedated or, or put um, into a, an artificial coma when, when we're experiencing tremendous pain. Because we want to turn off our mind. We don't want to think about the fact that we're experiencing pain because that makes it worse uh, to the point where it can be so traumatic that we can actually die from from pain and from fright. Whereas an animal has somewhere in between these two levels of pain where they experience pain, but they're not conscious of the fact that they themselves are experiencing pain. And William Lane Craig has likened this to um, a seeing blind person. So there are people that have this strange condition of being blind, um, even though they can see. And so it's not a problem with their eyes, it's a problem with their brain, how they receive and process information. If you throw a ball at one of these people, they can catch it. But if you show them a picture of art, they can't see it. So it's a very strange condition. They can see, but they don't have the experience of being able to see. Uh, if if they walk across a room, they can avoid the objects in the room. But they can't tell you what's in the room. They just... They, the Their sight connects kind of to the instinctive part of their bodies, the involuntary part of their bodies, but it doesn't connect to the conscious part that, that can process what they're actually seeing, and that can that can make sense of it. So in the same way, um, the the typical ex, um, example here is of the poor water buffaloes in Australia that are bitten by the Komodo dragon. And then um, this water buffalo, the, the bacteria from the Komodo dragon, infects it. And then for something like a month, it gets sicker and sicker and sicker. Until it ends up just kind of laying down, flopping down in a water hole somewhere. And all the Komodo dragons from from the island. I don't know if it's Australia or if it's uh, the island of Komodo, actually. Um, close to Australia. All the Komodo dragons start circling around it and circling around And then they start nipping at it and start licking it and start pestering it. Until after weeks and photographers, you know have documented this, and oftentimes they say this is the last nature documentary I'm ever going to do because it's so cruel, it's so disgusting. Um, Eventually, after this long, long, long ordeal of weeks, the water buffalo gives up, and he doesn't offer any resistance as the Komodo dragons eat him alive. Um, So it's very disturbing, right? And I hope you're not too disturbed by what I just described, but it's, it's nature, right? So how could a good God allow this? So the answer that William Lane Craig would give that I think is a helpful answer is to say he's not conscious of it in the same way that we are. Uh, what the Komodo dragons are doing is breaking down his um, his automatic responses because naturally when, when, when you bite any living being, it's going to kick you. And Komodo dragons don't want to get kicked. And so they keep pestering it, pestering, pestering it, pestering it until that connection between pain... And the pain stimuli and the response is broken down, um, and when they when they detect that it's been broken down, then they attack without fear of um, of being hurt in return. Um, but that's not the same as if a human was in that situation and they were phys- they were intellectually and emotionally broken down to the point of allowing themselves to be eaten alive. They don't have the same sense. It's like somebody that is blind blindsided. Um, there is pain stimuli, and they're moving away from the pain, but they don't know that, that they're feeling pain in the same way that we do. They're not reflecting on the fact that they are in pain in the same way that we would. They're not... Um, agonizing about the fact that they are in pain in the same way that we are, certainly the animal is in distress, but that's not the same as a human would be if a human was in that situation or even a higher primate uh, or a dolphin or a magpie, it's a magpie, that's the uh, that's the, uh, the bird, um, might be if they were in this prolonged state of uh, of torture and distress. So it doesn't completely solve the problem because we still have animals that are experiencing some level of pain. And certainly then you have the higher primates and dolphins and magpies and other self-conscious animals. Um, Makes me wonder if whales would be self-conscious as well. And I bet you that the fact that it's just hard to get a mirror big enough (laughs) um, might be why we don't know whether they're self-conscious or not. But anyways, that's another issue. Uh, there, there's still the issue of, well, what about these animals experiencing pain before the fall or after the fall as a consequence for the sin of man that they didn't have anything to do with? Um, and I think that would just come back to, it is a decision that was made by the federal head uh, that was humanity as represented by Adam. Um, and I meant to read Romans 5 as well, just to close this out. Um and underline, again, the federal head idea. So Romans 5. 15. For the free gift, no. 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. Even those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. So even people that didn't sin in the same way that Adam did, sin was still reigning over them because he was our federal head. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died. So because of Adam's sin, many people died. Uh, Much more, just as, you know, because of um, Hitler's decision, many died. Because of Abraham Lincoln's decision, many died. Um, He was our representative of the human race, Adam was. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So because Jesus died for us, many will will be made alive, as it's going to say in a second here. The gift is not that which came through the one who sinned, for on that hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Um, So, because Adam died, everybody died in him. But because Jesus died for us, sorry, because Adam sinned, There was death, because the wages of sin is death, uh, Romans 3.23. Because Adam sinned, there was death for many, for all. Because Jesus died for us, he paid the wages of sin, there is life for all. Now, this all here is where, you know, some Christians would get universalism from the Bible, which is not our topic for today. But I would just see this as, because I would not see all saved automatically through the death of Jesus Christ, um, but the, a way of salvation is opened for all through the death of Jesus Christ because, um, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, I hope that that helps to explain how, in the world, a good God can allow things like hurricanes, volcanoes, and, uh, earthquakes, and plagues, and epidemics, um, to ravage and and harm and hurt and hurt people, and uh, again we have. Um, there's so much more I want to say. I'm just going to leave it there, <laughs> and I would encourage you to go and listen to um, the teaching, uh, the the sermon on um, well, it's a it's a class on uh, on the problem of pain, and that'll talk more about you know how eternity and worship of God and these other things. Uh, make, the, make the human pain that we experience um, worth it and not just a wasted suffering as it would be on atheism. So I hope that this is helpful to you. Let's just pray and be done. Thank you, Lord, for this good time that we've had. And I just pray that you would um, help us as we use the hearts that you've given us and the consciences that you've given us to look at, and we, we try and do the good thing. Um, we try and do good. And we look at the world and we say, the world is not as it should. Help us, Lord, to, to wrestle with that and to figure out why the world isn't as it should be and what we should do about it and what we should think about you uh, as the creator of, of this world. I just thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.